Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. We are doing a special show tonight. It's Sunday night, getting close to Christmas and all that fun stuff. And we're here from Maine, and um, I, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm actually getting a little nervous. Um, I know some of you are like, really? They're coming on, both of them? Um, I've got a co-host, Noah St. John, with me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. And then our guest, it's kind of funny, usually I have Noah on as the guest, but we're co-hosting. <laughs> and um, so then I've got David Essel on, too. And, and um, for everybody listening uh, live, you can go to his website while we're listening. It's D-A-V-I-D-E-S-S-E-L.com. He's got, geez, I don't know how many books, nine books, maybe more. I don't know. We're going to ask him. All the, geez, he's such a wealth of information, and I love his website. Um, and it's just a, a great, uh, reachable guy. He's on social media. His website's really uh, full of facts, easy to read, easy to navigate, and uh, really, I'm we're in for a learning experience. So let me tell you a little bit about Noah. Um, Noah, are you uh, you're with me, right? <laughs> I just want to make sure. Absolutely. Hello, Noah. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I hey, love Elizabeth, Noah. how you doing? I'm great. Or just uh, I I ran into your dad a while back, and that was really neat at one of my percolate things. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. I love meeting your dad. So thank you so much for mm-hmm. all you do, and thank you for being here. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Noah before we bring David on. Uh, Noah St. John is a is another powerhouse of international keynote speaking and best selling author. He's famous for inventing affirmations, which is a new technology of the mind. And I've had him on a couple times before. I can put those links to the show, too. But he asks a lot of questions, this guy, and they're good ones. And he helps get you thinking about questions. Um, But uh, he's sought after uh, often. You're sought after all the time for the, the secret sauce for business and personal growth. And you founded the coaching company Success Clinic, and that you can find that at successclinic.com. And I love this. You started that in your college dorm in 1997 with less than $800 in the bank and a book on how to do HTML. It sounds really similar. Um, since that time, Noah's books have been published in 10 languages and his clients can be found in over 120 countries worldwide. Um, and you've been on every news network and all that stuff. So, but your website, just so you can uh, follow along with Noah too, it's N-O-A-H-T-J-A.com. And you can go there and get a, a copy of his free book, Get Rid of Your Head Trash. I love that. That stuff's just besteveryou.com. And then my books percolate. And uh, I don't, you know, that's just me. We'll, we're here to talk about David Essel. So, um, Noah, should I introduce David? Does that work for you? I think you should, Elizabeth. Yes, that's. I, I think you should have the ball right now. Yes. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Um, you guys interrupt too. Uh, David. David's uh, just awesome. I mean, there's a quote right at the beginning of his bio by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh, it says, "David Essel's destiny is to help you become more alive in every area of your life." And if you just peek into any of his content on the website or listen to him for just five or 10 minutes, 
you quickly pick up on that. Um, he's an action guy. I, he's probably got action figures being made or something. I'm not really sure. But he takes that wish and turns it into action. Yeah, we need little David Essel action figures or something. But for 30 years, um, he's been uh, considered one of the leading experts in the field of personal growth. Uh, we kind of all want to be David Essel. I'm not going to lie. He's the number one best-selling author of nine books. David, is it nine, 10, 11? Is it nine? Yeah, nine. We're at nine. nine. Right now. You're right. Wow. That's awesome. Um, he's a TV and radio host himself and um, a master business, business relationship and success coach, international speaker, inspiring speaker, and also an addiction recovery coach and an all faiths minister and addiction recovery coach. That's particularly interesting. Um, I'm one of those creatures on the planet who just really hasn't had much alcohol ever. Uh, It's just a choice I made a really long time ago as a kid. So it's interesting to me um, that you do that um, for people. And I saw some things on your, uh, in your social media about that. So if you're out there listening and you have an addiction that you're trying to get over, he's a great resource. Um, We're here tonight. Uh, to talk also about all that stuff, but also talk about his best-selling book, which is Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will, The Myth of Positive Thinking, The Reality of Success. That's a title. How'd you come up with that title, David? And did anybody you know, want you to shorten it? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, there's, there's only one. This is really interesting that you asked that question. There was one person who said to me when, when we were writing the book and we sent it out for reviews um, from different people that I knew, and there was only one person that said, that title is too long, it'll never sell, and six months later, it's the number one best-selling book. So, <laughs> you, you know, like, I, and, and one of the things that, that, we, that we, we are real big fans of is that it's great to get outside opinion, but it's even better to listen to yourself. And um, and with this book, it was never a book I ever had ever intended to to write, Elizabeth. If someone would have said to me, you know, I began 36 years ago in the world of personal growth. If someone would have said to me, even 20 years ago, you're going to write a book exposing the myth of positive thinking, I would have said, you're insane. I love Norman Vincent Peale and Wallace Waddles and Napoleon Hill and all of the forebearers of the world of positive thinking and. But then over this time, I've come to see the insanity that my own industry has created around the power of thought. We, you know, we, we have, and, and, and I'm in the industry, and, and I help propagate it. You know, for the first 20, 16 years at least while I was in this industry, I was one of those people saying, think it, whatever you think about, you can bring about, whatever you believe you can achieve. You know, I was one of those people spouting this nonsense and so before I even started writing this book, it was never really percolating. I'll use your, your book's title. It was never, <laughs> never percolated in my brain. But here's something fascinating, and this is where I want to encourage your listeners to really listen to your own inner voice. The book that is the ninth book, the, the one we're talking about right now, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life. That, that, this ninth book was supposed to be a book called Codependency Kills the largest addiction in the world. And so I had created an outline and I I write a book in a very, very interesting way. I've learned over 20 years of writing books of how to do it in this really short fashion. And, and so it was a Monday morning. I got up, I started to organize my outline. I figured on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'd be ready to write the book, Elizabeth and Noah. And then Tuesday morning I got up 
And I could not get this thought out of my head that said enough of the insanity with all this manifest X, you know, instantly manifest millions of dollars, manifest your lover, manifest your perfect body. And I got up and I just said, I can't go on anymore with this craziness in this world. I need to write a book on the myth of positive thinking. And so before I even did anything else, I contacted several people that well-known in the publishing industry. And I said, hey, listen, I got this idea, you know, like I can't get it out of my head. I can't even start writing this codependency book because I keep thinking about this myth of positive thinking. What do you think? And here's the thing, guys, that shocked the pants out of me is they both instantaneously said, stop the codependency book, do that next year, do this book now. And then I had this really brief outline. I sent it to six New York Times bestselling authors that I've interviewed on the radio over the past 25 years. And I said, hey, listen, guys, I'm thinking about writing this book. If you would be interested to, to write, a, I don't know, six, seven pages or two or three pages, I said, I'll leave it up to you. Let me know your thoughts on it. And within 24 hours, all six New York Times bestselling authors came back with almost the identical words. Thank God someone is writing this book, and yes, we would love to be a part of it. And that's how the book came to being, you know, and, and it's, it, to me, it's the most important book I've ever written. Uh, and we'll see if the next one I say that as well, <laughs> at least for, for right now. This is like, to me, the Bible of success. And we have over 100 stories of people. It's not just a book about David Essel by any means. The main focus of the book is psychological and philosophical truths about what it takes to be successful and the irrational thought process that so many people in our industry have picked up and accepted by well-meaning books like The Secret and The Law of Attraction. You know, we say in our book, those are fun books. They're marketing books. They're awesome. They're enjoyable. The stories are inspirational, but they're not realistic. That's the reality of life. Noah, do you want to wow, that, take it? Yeah, that is, yeah, go that ahead. is yeah. uh, really, hello, can you? <laughs> I'm talking. Hi there. <laughs> can you hear me okay? Yep, we got uh, you. Yeah, that, that, that is really fascinating, David. So, so talk to us further about what you're calling the insanity of positive thinking. Talk to us a little more about that. Yeah, I would love to, Noah. You know, it, you know when, well, let, let me go into psychology a little bit. So, we defined in 1996 when I created Life Coach Universe, which is, you know, uh, for 20 years now, a Life Coach certification organization. And we were trying to teach people how to understand the mind when it comes to success. We said we have one huge block running the world at the subconscious level, and that is something that we defined as human nature. The definition of human nature is our desire to get the most out of life with minimal effort. That's what's running the show for about 97% of the population of the 7 billion people in this world. About 3% are born with this innate drive to overcome anything put in front of them and to become successful, about 3%. Now, you know, Earl Nightingale, who was one of the, the founders of Nightingale Conan, a very famous audio recording co company that I was uh, fortunate to be a guest a couple times on in the early 90s, 
um, you know, he came up and, and he, he borrowed it from his research and then people before him, this whole three to 4% of the population are, they're just born to succeed. And you could put anything in front of them, they're going to be successful. But the rest of us are battling with this thing called human nature, our desire to get the most out of life with minimal effort. It's why people with very little money buy lottery tickets instead of picking up two jobs. It's why people that want to radically change their, their bodies will buy um, the thigh master. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we, we want to sit on the couch, have a bowl of ice cream, squeeze our legs together, and get the body of Suzanne Summers. And so in the world, what'd you say? I said, good luck. Oh, I know. I know. But you know, those things are still selling. I mean, that's how crazy this stuff is. Right. Uh, and so when, when we look at that, you know, and, and in the book, we describe the whole thing about when this, this, this shift happens, this whole desire to get the most out of life with minimal effort, the first several years of everyone's life, unless you're born in a drought-stricken country or in a hyper-addicted family or in a hyper-abusive family, most people, most, most children from zero, the minute they're born until two or three years of age, whatever they desire, their needs are taken care of. So they cry a certain way and they get fed and they cry a different way and they get their diapers changed. And so everything that they need is being taken care of for them. And then there's this thing, this psychological trauma, and it really is a psychological trauma for a lot of kids. It's called potty training. And after you learn that you can't be in the, in the stroller and just go because mom or dad or mom and dad are saying, okay, now it's time to get up and use this big boy, big girl thing, like that's the first thing that shatters us, that, that, that the world isn't just here to serve us. And then there comes finishing your peas before you get dessert. And then there's homework. And then there's picking up your room. And then there's all of a sudden there's consequences. But underneath it all, most of us are trying to find a way around doing the work. That's human nature. Our desire to get the most out of life with minimal effort. So books like The Secret and The Law of Attraction and, and, and books before them that said the same thing, you know, you can manifest effortlessly. They're tapping in to our desire to get the most out of life while building a vision board, to get the most out of life by affirming with emotion preceded by the words I am in order to bring in the love of your life and the million-dollar salary and everything else. So now if those things do happen and someone were to actually put a vision board into a storage container not look at it for five years, not work, not do much, and then all of a sudden find themselves in that home, well, that's called a miracle. And miracles do happen. And if someone were to affirm every day that they are a millionaire and they really don't do much other than that, they don't do anything uncomfortable, they don't really stress too much, they don't work too hard, but then they were to become a millionaire, that's a miracle. But most people, and God, you know, from Deepak Chopra to the late Wayne Dyer to Susie Orman, I mean, to bodybuilders that I've interviewed, not one of them have ever told me that their massive success came from vision boards or visualization or affirmations. You know, they all busted their ass. Um, you know, Wayne Dyer, the first time I had him, and I dedicated the book to him because he had such a huge impact in my life in 1990, just a massive, massive impact. And I asked him about how he became a best-selling author, and he laughed. 
And he said, well, you know, my first book, when it came out, I went to every bookstore with, and I can't remember the mileage, but from his house. And I bought all the books off the shelf. And all of a sudden, my publishers call me and say, you're not going to believe this, Wayne. Your books are flying off the shelf. And he <laughs> said, David, I, I continue to do this because I knew I needed to create a demand. And I believed in my book, and I believed in it so much, I was willing to invest not only the time to write the book, but the money to go out and clear the shelves. And I built the momentum, and all of a sudden, people are talking. And then when people actually bought the book and read it, they loved it. I mean, and that's just, you know, one of a billion stories I could tell you about people that have, that we all know their names, who are very successful, but none of them was it handed to them via some thought of the mind. Now, you know, is the mind important? Oh, my God, absolutely. We, we say in the book that about 20% of your greatest success in the world will come from having that very powerful positive attitude during times of stress, during times of loss, of failure. You know, we, we, we encourage it. I mean, we, we tell people to spend the first hour of every day journaling, gratitude, meditation, prayer, visualization, affirmation, absolutely the first 60 minutes, first thing in the morning. But after that, it's not going to have that much of an impact on your success. And then we go, Noah and, and Elizabeth, and explain in the book, you know, with stories about Greg Braden and, and, um, and all these superstars that you guys know, um, you know, what we've learned from them. And then we also integrate a lot of stories of people who were either my clients or people that I have read about, if not interviewed, that all follow the same thing. You know, is that the mind will bring us about, tw- unless it's a miracle, then in that case, it could be 100% due to your mental acuity. But other than that, it's only about 20% of your success will come from all this different stuff. But, you know, our industry, for God's sake, if you look, if you just go on social media, and it seems like every other day there's another book coming out about effortlessly manifest this and effortlessly manifest that. And, you know, I think, and here's, here's, I'll wrap this up and then I'll have you guys ask the next question. But if the mind was that darn powerful where that we could affirm something and it would happen, we, would, we wouldn't have 70% of the United States population overweight. I can guarantee you that. And when we look at money, the percentage of people in our country, and this has not changed for years, that earn $250,000 or more should be through the freaking roof if you could affirm money in your life, and yet the statistics don't lie. Only 4% of Americans earn $250,000 or more. Now, if all these books on abundance and manifestation and wealth and millionaires was true, that percentage should be massive. It shouldn't just be 4%. You were just saying that affirmations are a really great way to start the day. But I think you were telling us too, but it doesn't matter how much emotion you put behind them and that they're never going to radically change your life unless there's a miracle, like you said. My question is why, and then followed by the, by the, what, like, what do you have to do then? Well, you know, the why is a great question and I don't think anyone can answer why it's such a small percentage of of someone's success. And I don't think, you know, I don't know if anyone could even answer why do miracles occur to some people and not others, you know, like, 
when we work with people, well, I'll give you a great example myself, my Lord, with addiction. For 20 years, and I tell the full story in the book, I'll tell the short version here. For 20 years, I got up every day. Now, I've been doing this, as I mentioned, for 36 years. I got up every day and I said the most powerful affirmation in the world. And because of people that taught me, like uh, Lama Surya Das and Wayne Dyer and Ram Das and all these people back in the 80s, you had, even back then, they were saying you've really got to use the I am factor. You know, I am are the two most powerful energizing words in the universe. So before your affirmation, do the I am. So I followed all the guru's advice. And my affirmation was this. I'm a child of God, happy, healthy, and sober today. And for tw- now, now here's a guy that has dedicated himself to the spiritual path, to the personal growth path. I mean, I would get up and say it with energy and passion and hold the energy in my heart and let it express out to the universe. I mean, we can get really esoteric woo-woo if we wanted to today on the show. I did it all. And for 20 years, every night at 8 o'clock, I opened up my first bottle of wine. Now, if the power of mind was that incredible for someone who was taught by the masters, I would think it would take slightly less than 20 years to get sober. (laughs) If, if If the, and I'm not the only one that does this stuff, you know, I mean, God, in the 36 years, I have met so many people that affirmed their weight loss, affirmed their soulmate, affirmed their money, affirmed their sobriety, and it just isn't happening. So, Elizabeth, great question. Why is it? We don't know. Could this change down the road, you know, as AI, artificial intelligence, comes into play, and could we learn more about the psyche? We might, but I doubt it. My guess, my best guess is this is how we're programmed. And you can try to alter all these circumstances with your brain. Now, the only conflict and what I'm saying is then how the hell do we get instant regression of cancer with a client that claims that all they did was go to church every morning and pray to God? You know, and I say that's a miracle. And it doesn't happen all that often. It doesn't happen. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't happen enough. And then your, the second question you answered, asked Elizabeth is, is the powerhouse. And a lot of people assume that the answer then must be action steps, and that's partially correct. So you have to be willing to do the action on a daily basis to create the income. Or, or God, I've got the most incredible stories about forgiveness in our book that would blow you away, money that will blow you away. But it's not just being active because people could take 12 hours a day in busy work and never achieve much financial freedom or they may never find their soulmate or they may never lose the weight because it's the type of action step that's critical. And for all of our listeners, at first you're going to be so disappointed when I give you this answer, (laughs) but then I've got some good news behind it. The most important action steps to take if you have a large goal with your sobriety, with weight loss, with reversing illness, with creating a deep love affair in a relationship that currently sucks, finding a great partner when you've been single for a while, 
the most important action steps to take on a daily basis, a minimal of five days a week, are the steps you would rather not do. That is the secret sauce that we write about in the book that people don't want to understand or follow through with who struggle with being successful. The successful people in this world that we write about that have lost 130 pounds and kept it off for 15 years or have lost 90 pounds and kept it off for eight years, the couples that we write about that have recovered from affairs and their marriages are stronger after the affair than the 17 years they were married before, you know, the, the, the people that were struggling and losing their homes and didn't know how. There was this great story about a gentleman, a single dad with two kids. You know, he's he losing his home to foreclosure, couldn't make any money, didn't know how he's going to feed his kids, you know, and he becomes a millionaire. All of these people understood at some point that it's not just being active in the pursuit of your massive goal it's doing what you don't want to do. That is the key. Now, I promise good news. The good news with this formula that we have created that has been around for the, since the beginning of time, but we just put it in a way that's very easily readable, accessible, understandable, is that when you do those steps over and over and over again for 365 days, they just become who you are, and they're no longer difficult, and they're no longer an effort. If I go into a party, a funeral, a wedding, I see people around having an awesome time drinking, and I am having an awesome time being free, and I don't ever lament or worry or I'm nervous or anxious but how did I get here? Because I devoted a ton of time, a ton of money, and a ton of effort in a 365-day period to become free. So now it's effortless. The gentleman that I mentioned, I'll mention his name now, that I write the story, and he wrote a story in our book, Ray Higdon, who was busted broke, losing his home, single dad, you know, it, it's amazing. His life is, he's a multi-multi-millionaire. His life is absolutely a joy, but for the first year, it wasn't easy. It wasn't a joy. It was absolute brutal hard work doing the steps that he didn't want to do. And in the book, he even talks about how, you know, he took all of the messages from the secret and the law of attraction and applied them at the highest level possible until he finally broke down and he realized that that was not going to do it. And so he had to go in the exact opposite direction. And, and you know, I can pretty much, well, when someone reads the book, they're going to see in a heartbeat that because of all the stories that are backing up what I'm saying, this isn't like a David Essel's philosophy hour. Uh, this is real-life truth. Wow, that is awesome, David. No, I... And, and Ray, Higdon, Ray Higdon's a good friend of mine, and I, that's a, I love hearing his story, and I'm excited that it, he's uh, in your book as well. Now, you talked a moment ago about uh, money and you know, having that financial freedom. 
So I'm just wondering, so what is your advice on how people can have that financial freedom uh, in the new year? It's Noah and Elizabeth, you know, it's, for a lot of us, it's not that far away if we understand the principles of how the mind works with money and how the world works with money. And the way we teach it in our financial freedom course is that we say the very first thing we need to do is to understand money and understand how to respect money. And, you know, I have a, a friend of mine, I won't mention her name, but she teaches very similar courses on financial freedom that I do. Our philosophies are very different. And, and, uh, but I saw her post something the other day about, you know, if you want to become financially free, the number one thing you need to do is focus on your income. And we totally disagree with that philosophy. We believe that in order to become financially free, and I'm going to tell you what that definition is from our book, uh, financial freedom equals emotional freedom about money. And what that means is, is that you get to a point with your expenses and your income that you've learned the formula that we teach so that when you have an unexpected bill of $5,000 at the dentist, and it's a story we tell in the book, is that you simply take your checkbook out and write the check and you don't even think about it. That's financial freedom. Now, someone could earn $30,000, and if they knew the formula and followed the formula with expenses and income, they could be financially free at thirty grand. We, we, there was one couple we worked at that became financially free at $20,000 a year. So it's not like you have to have a million freaking dollars, as so many of us believe, in order to be financially free. But the most important thing is, where is my money going? Number Step one, what are my expenses on a daily basis? And then once we record every day, every penny we spend and what we spent it on, the very next thing in column three is, was it a want or a need? And if, if it was a want and we are not financially free, then we start slowly removing the want spending until all we're doing is spending what is needed for survival. Now, here is the action step that's a real challenge because most of us get into financial trouble because of emotional spending. You know, like there was a, a, a woman I worked with and her husband sent her to me, and she was not happy to work with me in this financial freedom course at all for the first couple of weeks. She goes, I feel this is a penalty. I hate this. I hate this course. She never said she hated me, but she hated the course. But he said, I don't know where the money's going to. And she said, well, you know what? We have two kids. That's where the money's going to. Well, at the end of the first month, we found out because she did what I asked, Noah, about recording every penny and was it a want or a need. She was spending $700 a month on wants with her two kids. They would go into Target to buy a bar of soap, pretty traditional thing, and come out with $100 worth of stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden she'd go into a convenience store to get a bottle of water, and, and then the kids would be screaming, and she'd come out with $25 worth of stuff. So we found at the end of 30 days that, on average, it's about $700 a month of her expenses were emotional purchases, they were not needs. They were wants. And at the end of working with her for about six months, she was a totally different person. You know, she was ecstatic to be able to figure out that her and her husband didn't have to continue to fight about money once she understood how to respect it and understand what it was there for and how she was losing so much of it. 
how does uh, how does financial freedom, affirmations, weight loss, sobriety, and all that tie in together? How do you apply the same principles to all of the areas of your life, or is that well, not a possibility? Oh yeah. Well, I say here, you know, one of the things that we share in the book is that we should never go after more than one goal at a time. There's, it's, it's a waste of time to multitask goals. What, with our listeners right now, what I would ask them to do is look at their life and figure out which area is in most distress. Is it their weight? Is it their finances? Is it their relationship? Is it their career? Is it, you know, a lack of a spiritual path? Is it you know, is it victimhood? Is, you know, like, is, are they filled with resentments and are they a victim to their experiences in life? We all have at any given time one area that needs our attention. So number one is, you know, affirmations and active action steps into the uncomfortable. That's the pathway to success, but, but never to try to go after more than one goal at a time. And so we choose one. You know, if people were to write down a, a column and it had all the major areas of life, finances, relationships, physical health, spiritual health, career, et cetera, you should be able to find pretty quickly, if you're open and honest, unless you want to stay in denial, but you should be able to see pretty quickly that there's one area that's more out of whack than the rest. And so we say don't jumble your brain, you know, with this, intention to change all these different areas, kind of like a New Year's resolution, because you're just going to get sidetracked. The, the example we give is that if you're going after more than one major goal at a time, what's going to happen is you're going to go until you hit a major block. And then you're going to go, oh, God, you know what? I'm not seeing the end result with this finance thing. So I don't think it's that. I think it's love. And you're going to jump tracks because you've hit a block. In our work, we say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Whatever that area of life that needs the most attention, we stay on that area until we see progress before we would ever jump to another goal. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I'm looking on your website here, David, and it uh, looks like you've got you know several celebrities uh, people like Jenny McCarthy who are uh, endorsing you. So uh, how did you meet uh, Jenny, and, and why are celebrities so uh, into what you're doing here? It, great question, Noah. You know what I, I honestly believe? Listen, celebrities don't endorse people because they've got nothing better to do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You know, like if anyone could be picky about endorsing me or anyone else, it's people that are at a very high level of success. So I think the answer to your question is, is because they see in someone like myself, and there's a ton of other people that are endorsed by celebrities, so I'm surely not the only one, but they see a deep authenticity, they see a deep passion, and they see a relentless spirit, which they have in themselves. And so, you know, with Jenny McCarthy, interesting story. Uh, Jenny was a huge fan uh, of The Secret and The Law of Attraction and all that. And, and when I keep bringing these books up, I want to make this point. 20% of what those programs are selling is 100% accurate. And the books are enjoyable to read, and they are inspiring. So I want to make that point because there is some really great stuff that programs like that offer. So 
Jenny McCarthy's producer, Michelle, she was approached by my publicist, TJ, and TJ said, I think Jenny's going to love this guy, David Essel. And so Michelle got a copy of the book and was looking it over, and she said, I don't know if Jenny's going to like this. She really loves affirmations and positive thinking and all this. But here's something interesting. Michelle loved it. Michelle is one of those people that said, you know, I – I don't think this stuff is all that valid. I don't think you can just affirm your way to millions of dollars or a great body or love. So she said, TJ, set up a time for David and I to talk before Jenny has him on the show so I can get a better feel. Well, within about 45 seconds, Michelle loved me. And she said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. This is what I believe. You know what? I think Jenny eventually is going to really like you. But just, just, just to let you know, she does really like The Secret and all that kind of stuff. I was supposed to be on, I think, for an eight-minute interview, and Jenny McCarthy, at the end of this eight minutes, goes, oh, my God, David Essel, you need to stay with me. Like, you are teaching me stuff that is so true, but I, I, I know it's true, but it's not the way I'm thinking. Can you stay in there? So we went to a break, and then we went to another break, and, and then she stops in the show, and she says, listeners, you have to pay attention to this guy. He's breaking the rules here. He's doing what is right. I'm going to have him back. And then, Noah, I've been back on her show three times. The last time I was on, she brought me into New York to be with her face-to-face in the studios. And, you know, that's how – and then she, you know, gave me one of the most beautiful endorsements in the world, you know, that David Essel is the new leader in the positive thinking movement. I mean, that, that kind of stuff comes up because someone believes in your message. They believe you're authentic. They believe you've done your homework. They believe that you're experienced. You know, like – or, or she would have never sent us that email and risked her own reputation if she didn't feel 100% comfortable with what we're doing because our book and my work is all about giving people hope. We want to dispel the myth of positive thinking, but we want to give the reality formula for success so people can regain that hope that, yes, there still is a chance for me at 50 or 60 or 70 to find deep love or to lose 150 pounds or to make them like we want people to have the hope, not fantastical thinking, not wishful thinking nonsense, but real grounded hope. What about someone, by the way, I love her. Um, I, I've, Not choppy, but, you know, with somebody like Jenny McCarthy, who's already got everything going on to, you know, me seems like to perfection. When you're at that level and you reach to you for for advice and all that stuff, is that at a a higher level? Do you go even higher principles apply to a person who doesn't want to lose 150 pounds, but maybe like, 20 or maybe wants a little extra Christmas money or, you know, something like that where the goals aren't incredible. Do you see that kind of like extremes or do the same principles apply? I hope that makes sense. I know it was a little choppy, but you know, somebody like Jenny McCarthy to me, she's like perfection. Well, let me, let me say something about what (laughs) I know. She, she is amazing. And here's the thing that I didn't realize. She's smart as shit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She is oh my god. Brilliant. She is so darn intelligent. Like when when we're on the air doing these interviews, she asks the best questions. You know, she like yeah. she's not just 
placating me or placating her listeners. She is really darn smart. And, and let yep. me tell you something that, that came up in, in the studios. Well, to quickly answer your question, Elizabeth, heck yes. It doesn't matter okay. if the goal is ma- massive or if it's tiny. It, it's the same thing. The smaller the goal, the quicker it'll come if you do what you'd rather not do. I can tell you that. <laughs> Makes you know? sense. Like, if, if you need to lose, you know, five pounds or ten pounds and you do what you don't want to do every day, you, you won't spend a year turning that around. You might spend two months or six months or three months or something like that. But, um, but here's something, like a, a couple of things about Jenny McCarthy. I could talk about her for the next three hours. I, I mean this. Like, I, she blew me away. I had no idea that she was at the high level of intelligence and character and, and, um, and dignity that she was. And, and I'll explain this why. Someone in her position doesn't need David Essel to accomplish a thing. She doesn't have to agree with me. She doesn't, if, if her, her life is really, really great, you're right, Elizabeth. If she wasn't here to give her audience the most valuable and viable information in the world, she never would have had me on in the first place, nor would she have brought me back three times. No, point number one. Point number two, she was so vulnerable with me. She, we, we talked about the world of dating, and, um, and, we, and there's this thing that we've created called the 3% rule of dating, and it's, it's a really interesting. It, it's the opposite of the way most people date. Most people look you know, for their soulmate. Oh, my God, that, that word, I can, might as well put a 45 to my head every time I hear it. Um, <laughs> the, way, the way it's Sorry. described is that there's, you know, there's one person in this world, and you, boy, you just pray to God they're not in Japan because there's only one soulmate, blah, blah, blah. It's all a bunch of hogwash. But, you know, when, when we talked about that kind of stuff, she was very open to it, you know. And, and I believe that anyone you've ever kissed is a soulmate. I believe anyone you've ever made love to is a soulmate. I don't care how it ended. I don't care if they were outrageously abusive, mentally, physically. And it's not that I don't care because I have no compassion, but that person was there. And from the very first time they disrespected you, they were trying to teach you you deserved more, that you deserve something better. And if you kept going back to that circumstance, they kept treating you that way, they're going to do that until you get your lesson and learn that you are worthy something much greater than someone who's not emotionally available, physically available, emotionally abusive, or physically abusive. And Jenny and I were talking about this, and she goes, oh, my God, David, this is so me. Like, when, before I found Donnie, and she is so in love with Donnie, it was awesome to see her talk about her husband. But she said, you know what, I was the savior. I was the, instead of the white knight, I was the white princess. And I'm going around and I'm scooping up all these people with great potential. And I'm looking at their potential. And they got all this, if someone could just love them the way I could love them. Like, here's Jenny McCarthy on her national radio show talking about the ways that she has not been successful in life. And she gave more examples. You know, when I was with her in New York and we were talking about, um, you know, that you really have to do what you don't want to do. And she said, can I please share a story? And I have this on video, and we post it up on Facebook and and Instagram every once in a while. But it's her talking about how when a number of years ago, when her career stalled after she was Playmate of the Year, and her career stalled, and, and she said, David, do you know why it stalled? 
It's because I refused to do what you say to do in the book. In the book, it says that you have to do what you don't want to do. You have to take uncomfortable steps. And let me tell you the truth. I'm getting audition interviews. I'm getting interviews for all kinds of different projects. And if I looked at where the interview was, and it meant I had to fly somewhere, and I didn't feel like getting uncomfortable and getting packed and flying, I would just bypass it. And I did that over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I got uncomfortable and started going on all these trips that I didn't want to go on that all of a sudden success blossomed. So she's just amazing. I have so much respect for her because she's willing to be vulnerable and willing to risk. And I love that about her. Yeah. That is, when you, oh, that's go, really powerful, yeah. David. Oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. Go ahead. No, no, it's, it's your turn. I got a thousand questions, so you, you go. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just, I, I really like what you're talking about, about getting off of that whole wishful thinking thing. So, so what would you recommend, David, to how can people really get off of that wishful thinking uh, bandwagon and really get on a, a path to success? I, I think, Noah, a beautiful question. I think the very first thing we need to do is get out of denial. That's step one. You know, if we're still thinking that because a book sold 10 million copies that tell us that we can manifest something effortlessly, we're in denial still. And this is a hard thing. What I'm saying right now is not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because of something called mass consciousness. When Oprah endorses something and you're in the world of personal growth, you want to believe that it must be true and you will go years and years and years following a program that doesn't work. And I'm not, you know, blaming Oprah for this. This is just mass consciousness. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. Um, I mean, look at Hitler with Nazism and mass consciousness. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And so, but here's the thing, what I say, oh, no, let, not even, I'm not even going to take credit for this. I'm going to give credit to Buddha. Buddha said something amazing, what, 3,500 years ago. When someone would come to him and say, I've heard that your way is the way, and I want to follow you, and he would say, well, wait a second. Before you follow me, do this. Apply the principles that I teach. Don't take them because you've heard from other people that they work. Apply my principles. If my principles work in the physical world for you, follow me. If my principles don't work in the physical world for you, find another teacher. And I think with all of this stuff about effortless manifestation, the number one thing people need to do is get out of denial. And how we get out of denial is this, is ask ourselves the question, has following these practices of affirmation and vision boards and visualization has it worked for me? If the answer is yes, because sometimes people with 20%, let's say, of someone's success could be based on the fact that they happened to do this and maybe it was synchronicity, maybe it was a miracle, maybe it was something. If your affirmations, if your visualization and vision boards have brought you what you desire, don't listen to me. Like, don't. If you don't have what you want, listen to me and the hundred other people in our book. Because we honestly believe, and I would put all the money I have on this, 
that if you don't have what you want and you follow what's in the book that is endorsed by all these people, you will get it. However, Noah, Elizabeth, there's only one catch, and the catch is this. You've got to do it completely. You've got to do it five days a week, and you have to do it if it's a major goal for a year. And let me quickly explain what this whole 365-day thing is. When you apply the financial principles or the weight loss principles or the the love principles for 365 days – you are turning the subconscious mind, which is either an ally or a foe, into an ally. When you get up early and you, be, and you don't want to go to the gym, but you do, and you do it for a year, there is almost 100% guarantee that with the results you're going to get from getting up and going to the gym and changing your dietary practices and doing what you don't want to do, there's a damn good chance in a year you're going to be blown away with your body. And then it just becomes who you are. And that's the exciting thing here. You know, like this is what's so exciting is that if you don't have what you want, follow the program. If you have what you want, keep doing whatever you're doing. You don't need anything else. Can we go to the excuse zone for a minute? Sure. Because what if you don't want to do what you don't want to do? (laughs) You come up with every excuse in the world to not do it. I love it. I love it. Then, then, Then get very, very happy with where your life sucks. Just accept it. Quit bitching, quit complaining, quit being a victim. You know, like just go, you know, I'm I'm not going to change how much I drink, how much I eat. I'm not going to do what David Essel and all these other people in his book are saying. I just don't want to. You know, and so then and, and this is a fact, it's not a judgment. Then we're going back into the two to four year old mentality, right? I don't want to. And so if you don't want to, don't. Just don't ever complain to anyone or yourself about the life that you have. It's that simple. No, are you? I'm just, I'm I'm absorbing that. I think that was was very very interesting advice. Yeah, that's really, really good. So so how do you feel about me? Go ahead. No. Sorry, I can't see you. I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> Elizabeth breaking up a little bit. Um, so, so David, t- how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Well, I think if they're focused on one goal, <laughs> Noah, this is going to be great. If if it's one New Year's resolution, and you're willing to write down the steps that you would rather not do and get help, you know, there's something else we say in the book too: is that you've got to invest time, money, and effort into a major goal. Time, money, and effort, time, money, and effort, time, money, and effort, which means you're probably going to have to have an accountability partner. So now that accountability partner could be a minister, it could be a priest, it could be a personal trainer, it could be a nutritionist, it could be a a, a coach, uh, a life coach, it could be a counselor, it could be one of a a financial planner, it could be a billion different things. But I I think a New Year's goal which is the one that you'd rather not attack, the area of life that you, you know is, is suffering more than the other areas, I think they're great. This is a perfect time of year, you know, as people say, to start fresh. But the major problem with resolutions is most people want to say, I'm going to you know, make a million dollars and lose 50 pounds and find the love of my life or save the current relationship. I'm going to quit smoking, quit drinking, blah, blah, blah. So I say just throw all the extra stuff out 
focus on the one that you need to put the most effort into, and let's rock and roll. What were you like when you were a kid? I was the biggest pain in the butt. Oh, my God. (laughs) Were you you really? I'm a mom of four boys. I'm just curious what you were like. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I was a nightmare. Nightmare on Elm Street (laughs) has nothing. Bless my my mom and dad. You know, I don't even know how they made it past 40. Um, You know, they're they're (laughs) still alive. I swear, I'm not kidding you. I was, the, I, was the, I was angry. I was an angry child. I was a, a, an irritable child. I was, uh, there was, oh, I was not a fun kid. Um, but, but, you know, the, 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 the one good thing I'll say about me as a child is that it is, because <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there's one redeeming quality from my childhood if I, if I scratch my brain hard enough. But, um, you know, I've always been a seeker, and sometimes that seeking has gotten me into bad stuff. You know, like I have done every drug in the world, um, and 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 I've also done every mental spiritual practice that you know people could ever think. I don't think there's anything that I've you know done the whirling dervishes um, from the Hindu sect. I, I've done just some crazy, crazy, crazy experiences, even as a, a, a teenager. So I've always pushed the envelope, and um, you know, I, I played basketball two years at a Division One school um, when I was really short and I couldn't jump. And you know, I, I mean, I just overcame some huge, huge odds. And then I, I reached a wall. But I, I think that somehow, and maybe this is a gift. Uh, I've hit a lot of walls in life, guys. You know, my my life has been filled with a lot, a lot, a lot of walls. There hasn't been one that's ever stopped me. And. That's, you know, when I talk about that the book is a book of hope, I'm getting chills right now because I think that that's what the human race needs. I I think we need hope by reading other people's stories that we can get out of the mess we're in. And then I think we need, we all need guidance. No, we we, we need God. We don't need airy fairy stuff. There's a guy, um, his name is Lama Surya Das. I'm not sure if you guys know of him. Um, I don't actually. I don't even know how to spell that. Okay. Yes, um, I'm, I'm familiar ahead. with his work. Okay, so I'm not Lama sorry. Das. Okay, well, Lama just means high priest, you know. So we'll we'll try to move through some of those words. Lama means high priest, but he's the highest ranked American Buddhist monk in the world, and he started out as a Jewish kid on Long Island. His um his his mom calls him the Delhi Lama instead of the Dalai Lama going after their Jewish heritage, <laughs> which I just love. <laughs> but, you know, I, I interviewed him a number of times, and, and I remember one of the most profound interviews that I ever had with him was I was talking to him about, you know, this whole esoteric spiritual practice of Buddhism and, you know, how beautiful it is and everything. And, and, and you know, I was giving him a compliment about something, and he started laughing uncontrollably. And I said, what's so funny, Lama? And, uh, and he said, everything you're saying is true until you walk out of the monastery and try to put these principles into work in traffic or a relationship. <laughs> and I love that. You know, I love that. He said, you know, it's not that what you're saying isn't true, David, but it's a damn hard thing to apply the principles that we know to be true in real life. So everything is easy peasy 
while you're in your meditation, but then you get out of your meditation and you go into traffic and you get pissed off or you come home and, you know, your, your kid has ice cream all over the walls and you lose it. And he said, that, that's, that's the difference between people that speak about spiritual practices or, um, or life lesson practices and those people who live it. And he said, I, I'll be the first to tell you it was brutal coming out and applying because he, he was in monasteries for years and years and years. And he said to come out and to practice it is a totally different gig. And I think we all, everyone listening tonight can probably relate to that. What we all know in our brain, and this is where I'm, I'm going to go against that famous quote, you know, knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power at all. You know, knowledge is simply knowledge. That's all it is. It has no power whatsoever. When knowledge is mixed with application, that's where the power is. And that's what he was saying. You know, like you, you can read all the books you want on success. And, you know, something funny I say in the book, one of my favorite authors is Napoleon Hill. And one of my favorite books, and I read his book every year, cover to cover, religiously, is Think and Grow Rich. Well, the funny thing about that is in the book, there is not one story of someone who thought, their way to riches. Isn't that telling? Yeah. You know? Hmm. What, uh, okay, people who might be listening who have any kind of addiction issue, um, sometimes people are suffering in silence. And so I really wanted to know if we could go there for a bit because people are, you know, this is a, I don't know if you can hear me okay. Um, Could you talk a little bit about your own experiences with that and what exactly it is maybe that you did that you didn't want to do to get yourself free from that? So people might walk away listening to the show, like thinking here's a couple things I could do to help me help themselves. Yeah. Well, well, let me, um, let me clear up some misconceptions, especially when, when it comes to, to alcohol, um, there is no genetic cause of alcoholism. Now we're going against probably 80% of people that believe in the world of addiction recovery that alcoholism is caused by genetics. It's absolute nonsense. And I'm proof of it. So, and not just me, but you know, in 20 plus years of helping people to recover and, and there's a million addictions and, and we could get into all of them individually, but Number one is that there is no genetic cause for any addiction at all. Now, what does that mean? Well, when we look at something like cystic fibrosis, and let's say someone is born with cystic fibrosis, I think the three of us, and probably your listeners as well, could agree that if they're diagnosed with it, that there's a gene that caused it, they were born with it. So that's a genetic disease. That is absolutely genetic. But with alcoholism, there is no such thing. In other words, someone doesn't come out craving alcohol. And, and well, let me take that back, unless they, they're born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, but that's, that's with a heavy alcoholic mom has a baby who is born addicted, but they get weaned off of it, just like you know any type of pain pill, opiate babies. The, the withdrawal symptoms for these things are horrendous. Um, I worked with a physician who um, who dealt with that, and it's just the, the, if you watch videos of these poor innocent children being born as addicts, it rips your heart out. But 
those those two things aside, and eventually what they do is they end up, especially with the opiate addicts, pain pills, heroin, et cetera, that, that they give them morphine. They, they have to shoot these little babies up with morphine to help them get through their addiction withdrawal. But with alcoholism, the, the only way the gene is activated is if the person ingests alcohol. Otherwise, they could die at 90, and there's no such thing as a gene picking them up by the back of their neck, pulling them into a liquor store, buying a bottle, and shoving it down their throat. It has to be a voluntary ingestion of the substance for that gene to be activated. Then, here's the reality, is that if you do have the gene for alcoholism and you do choose to drink, it's going to be difficult for most of us, including myself, to stop drinking at one or two. Because once that gene is activated, there's a craving that occurs, and that part of the genome theory with alcohol is, is accurate. I had an aunt that died of alcoholism. I had a whole family just riddled with alcoholism. So I know it's in, it's in, but if I don't drink, there's no disease. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, there's, there's no disease at all. And so you can't say that alcoholism is caused by a genetic condition. That's an absolute fallacy. And I'll even go as far as say it's a complete freaking lie. And it gives people the opportunity to justify their alcoholism and not quit drinking. So the cat's out of the bag. For people that don't like to hear that, I'm fine with that because this is the reality. And, and then the other part of it is, you know, people say you're, once you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic for life, and that is absolute insanity. You are not an alcoholic for life. If you go through the process and you heal what caused the craving for addiction, which I'm going to say what it is in a second, if you heal that baseline foundation, you will not ever crave alcohol for the rest of your existence. It is awesome. You can be free. You can be recovered, not in recovery. And, you know, I love parts of the 12-step program, and I despise the parts that say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. That is absolute nonsense. We are betraying the healing process of our clients by feeding them that nonsensical work. It's, it's crazy. But here's something crucial for the understanding of all addictions. Food addiction, nicotine, sex, gambling, alcohol, uh, drug addiction. There is a cause for it all. There is a, and the cause is this. It is our inability to deal with the emotional response or coping mechanism to life. That is the cause of all addictions. The cause, I'm going to repeat this because this is so crucial. The cause of every addiction known to man is our inability to have the correct coping skills to deal with our own emotional response to life. It's not life. It's our own emotional response to life. And where does this come from? More often than not, it comes from a model in our childhood, mom, dad, sister, brother, grandmother, grandfather, next-door neighbors. Uh, it could be caused by peer pressure. There's all kinds of things, but they all say the same thing is that we haven't been given the coping mechanism skills of how to deal with defeat, rejection, boredom, low self-confidence, low self-esteem, anger, rage, 
I could go on uh, for another 20 emotional responses to life that we haven't learned how to cope with and deal with. So we go to something that will bring us into another zone, another reality, so momentarily we can escape the pain, the discomfort, the boredom, whatever it might be. And, you know, in my, our, our findings, the number one addiction in the world is codependency, and there's two, two parts of that codependency addiction. Uh, number one is a codependency, a substance outside of you to feel normal, which is where gambling and sex and nicotine and food and alcohol come into play because they, they can make us feel, quote, unquote, normal, safe, secure, happy, blah, 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 in the short term, but they come back and bite us in the bud. And then the second form of codependency as being the largest addiction in the world is our fear of rejection, our fear of being judged by others, our fear of being abandoned by others, our craving not to rock the boat, our craving to be accepted, our craving to be liked. So that's why we say codependency is the largest addiction in the world because it goes with both relationship addiction, the latter that I just explained, plus the substance or behavioral addiction, the first portion I explained. Hmm. Uh, I really love love what you're saying here, David. Go ahead, Elizabeth. This uh, This is really good stuff. Well, I, yeah, I love it too. And do you have a book on that, on codependency? We no, you know what? We here's some interesting stuff. <laughs> we have we have we have a brand new book coming out next year, um, but it's it's actually on the power of focus, and the title of it is "Got Focus?" Question mark. The success system that goes beyond the secret law of attraction and all other modern day principles. That's the newest book coming out in 2017. The codependency book will probably be out in late 2017 or 2018. Okay. I have one more question. Sorry. No, I got to ask one more thing um, because it's a question coming in as well. And it's the same one I have. When you were sitting there and you were like, okay, you, you, did you hit a miserable point or a breaking point or some change point where you said, I'm not going to do this anymore? What was that and what did you do to change so that you're oh. sober now? Oh, that is a freaking awesome question. Man, I am getting big chills, guys, with this question. So, um, you know, my brother and I, I have a younger brother, Terry, and my brother and I, since the late 80s, uh, a long time, early 90s, we said whoever makes a million dollars first has to take the other person into treatment center. <laughs> now, we can laugh now, you know, and if, if our listeners, if any of our listeners are struggling, you know, with an addiction and you hear me laughing and you say that's not funny, um, I understand that and I have compassion and empathy. I, I'm only sharing my personal experience and I'm not making fun of anyone struggling. But, you know, my brother and I back then knew that we both had problems. And, 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 and so we would come up with all kinds of fanciful things of why we didn't have to quit today, but we would as soon as X happened. And that's a pretty traditional denial statement. Um, and we would do it in laughter, and sometimes we wouldn't do it in laughter. Sometimes we'd be together and we'd wake up very hungover and we'd go, this is it. We're not doing it anymore. But here's the, here's the end point for me. Um, I had talked to myself for a number of years about the need to do something, but I was really afraid, guys. I, I was very, very afraid. You know, alcohol was my best friend. Cocaine was my best friend. And, um, 
And I was able to self-medicate my fears and insecurities. And, you know, here I'm speaking regularly in front of audiences of 5,000 people and hosting, you know, this massive national radio show. And I was on Lifetime Television and Fox in New York, and I was doing all this, this stuff. And yet I was very insecure and needed either to medicate to sleep or medicate to have that rush that I got in front of an audience. And I started dating a girl, and she wasn't the first girl, but one of the rare girls I ever dated that didn't drink at all. And I never said anything to her, and we got along great, and she would drink her Diet Coke, and I'd drink my wine. And um, and then we went to my brother's, uh, he has a, a lake home up upstate New York, and so we went up there to visit my family, and one night she she kept going to the bathroom, and I couldn't figure out why. My first thought was, oh, my God, I didn't know she could be bulimic. You know, I just immediately went to something like that. So I kept knocking on the door, and she said, I'll be out in a minute, and she'd come out. And But she was going in so frequently. I finally just knocked on the door, and she opened it up, and she was crying. Now, this is a girl that I had known for a while. She had never cried over anything, nothing. And I go, oh, my God, what's going on? And she said, I need to talk to you right now. And she walked past me, and she sat down, and we were the only ones in the house. And I said, what's going on? And she said, I have something to tell you. And I said, okay, why are you upset, though? And she said, because when I tell you this, you're going to leave me. And I sat there, and I just poured a large glass of wine, and I took a big gulp. And I go, okay, go ahead. I don't know what you're talking about. And so she looked at me. You know, I can, it's so wild. I can feel my own emotion right now coming up. And she said, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. And I know you're going to leave. And I looked at her. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I know you can't handle that. You know, I know you can't. I know you just can't handle what I'm telling you. And, and I just kept saying, I don't know what you mean. Like, it's, it's okay. It's okay that you're in recovery. Like, that's why you drink these Diet Cokes all the time. And she said, yes. And I said, I'm fine with that. And she said, no, you need to know it all. And then she told me about an hour and a half story that I was riveted. Her abuse as a child and her addiction to all these different things, you know, her family history that was horrendous and the sadness that she carries in her heart, even as being someone in recovery and the fear of my judgment, because she said, David, you like to drink. I have never said a thing and I'll never say a thing to you about that but I am so afraid. And she kept saying this. I'm so afraid you're going to drop me now that you know the truth. Well, we got through that night and I felt more in love with her. And the next day I got up and she was taking a shower and I said to myself, That's the final sign that you need. Hmm. That's what you need to do. So we're flying home, and I made up a lie. And I said, hey, while you're in the shower, 
I got a text from a client that needs to go to a treatment center. Where did you go? Because I want to give them the information. And she told me. And we flew back to Florida, and I went home, and I called, and I did the intake over the phone, and 30 days later, I was in the treatment center. And, you know, the I've had, I would say, probably four days of the most horrendous anxiety that I can ever think of in my life were the first two days at the treatment center where you're put in a detox unit and you go through detox. And then the first two days that you're home alone, I I have never had more fear than her walking away and leaving me there. I I, I was absolutely filled with gut-wrenching fear, knowing that not only was she gone for a month, but that so was the only thing since I was 13 years of age when I started drinking that I had to soothe me and to comfort me. You know, I I had major surgery on my neck in 1979. It was a horrendous surgery. And, um, you know, the day of the surgery, we had it lined up that every day in the hospital, certain friends of of mine would bring me wine. I'm on morphine. Yeah, I'm on morphine trips, and I have people smuggling wine into my room. You know, like this is, and 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 I'm highly functioning. You know, I mean, I'm a highly functioning alcoholic. Um, and then the two days when I got out of the treatment center, when I came home, and she came and picked me up, and and then she had to do things for a number of days, and I was two days by myself, and those were the next two scariest days of my life. I, I will, you know, I, I share this with you guys and with the audience because when we fast forward, it has been an absolute miracle. You know, but how did the miracle happen? I had to borrow a ton of money in order to afford the treatment center. I had to risk that the world would find out that this guy that helps other people get sober, Mr. Motivation on Lifetime Television, you know, blah, blah, blah. At some point it's going to come out that he was, you know, an alcoholic Functioning, incredibly functioning, incredibly alcoholic. You know, I, I was scared to death that my career would be over, that, you know, the, my world, we, we ended up breaking up, um, I'd say, probably six months into my recovery. Uh, you know, that was pretty tumultuous. It didn't, it didn't encourage me to go back out and drink again because I had started to learn powerful coping skills. And, um, you know, and that's, that's the story. And, it's it's beautiful to be free of the addiction to sugar or alcohol or nicotine or gambling or sex or TV or workaholism or greed or, you know, the, the freedom of the addiction to be codependent and walking on eggshells with the world and afraid people are going to be upset with you. Um, God, the freedom. You know, the freedom is like why I encourage people to work their butts off. You know, Noah asked me a question earlier about step one is getting out of denial. It's hard. That is a powerful story. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. I was, I was expecting a a different answer. So um, that's, that's 
got to be a, very powerful for people listening. Cause I, I thought you were just going to say, well, you know, I just put the alcohol down and went on with my merry way, but it's not that easy, is it? You know, I think, well, if we talk about miracles, Elizabeth and Noah, I think some people have that miraculous experience where, you know, they put the cigarettes down one day, they put the sugar away, they put the alcohol down, the heroin, the whatever, and, um, and they never look back. I, I think it's a, a miracle. I, I, I don't think it happens very frequently. I think most of us have to, like, you know, and when I committed the next year of my life to my recovery, it, it was seven days a week. There was not a day off. You know, I went to meetings, and after I felt that I got everything I could out of the meetings, you know, I worked with counselors and coaches. It was seven days a week for 365 days, um, and, and it's been really worth it. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how worth it it is. And to, to go to a wedding and to have a freaking blast, you know, to go to a concert. You know, I remember, you know, the cool story a number of years, about seven years ago, and I just saw this guy for the first time in seven years. I helped a guy who really struggled with alcohol. I helped him to get sober. And, um, and about six months after he was sober for six months, you know, he contacted me and just said, hey, listen, I want to let you know that I'm doing really great. I still am a little anxious about going to some social things, but, but I'm doing great. And I go, hey, one of my favorite bands is playing at this art center in town, and the name of the band is, is Steely Dan. And I said, you've never gone to a concert sober, have you? He goes, no, I, I don't go anywhere hardly socially. And I said, okay, you're coming with me. And we went, guys, and we had a freaking blast and I haven't seen him in seven years and I saw him at a local basketball college basketball game the other day and we and he said to me he goes David he goes I still haven't had a drop he said I have more fun at concerts now than I ever have after you took me to the one at Steely Dan and <laughs> you know these these kind of stories guy they might they might seem a little minimal or I don't know what I might, might hear or what, what some of our listeners might go, well, that's no big a deal. But, you know, when you're used to surrounding yourself with any substance to be social and then you're social and having a blast without it, that's quite beautiful. It's huge. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's beautiful. Noah? Yeah, well, how are we doing on time, Elizabeth? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. um, David, I I think one thing I need to learn is probably to be more respectful of people's time because I can keep (laughs) you guys on here for about four hours. So um, I think we should probably wind up because we've been on here for almost an hour and a half, and this is just an awesome show. And I, I think if you would, I would just absolutely love to have you come back. I mean, whenever you want to, please come back. Love you. Oh, Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth, Noah, this has been, you know, just awesome for me. You guys are fantastic at what you do. And, uh, and you know, what, you, you, you desire it. You want it. The answer is always yes. You know, I, I mean, I think this is just a crucial part of my career to, to give people that sense of hope and experiences that prove that there's another way to live. So, yes, 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 yes. And, and one thing I want to mention, too, you know, for your listeners, um, we, we give away uh, chapter one of the book because, you know, we realize that a lot of people, when they hear the myth of positive thinking, they could be skeptical of it. Like, okay, how is this guy, you know, going against 250 years of people saying that if you believe it, you can achieve it. 
And so we say to people, just, you know, at our website, which is the easier website to remember is talkdavid.com, talkdavid.com. If people go to talkdavid.com, right on the homepage, you can see Get Chapter 1 for free, and they can read it. And 99% of people either get the ebook or the soft cover after they, they read Chapter 1 because we really do use very valid um, examples of why we love positive thinking, because I do, my gosh, I love it, but why it's probably not going to do much to change your life. Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So um, tell me the website one more time, Talk. What was it? Yeah, Talk David. So it's it's yep. what I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> TalkDavid.com. We try to make it perfect. as simple as possible. That's that's awesome, and um, and the book's available wherever books are sold. I've seen it on Amazon. I will keep posting links because it's it's a great book. I bought it a few days ago and just loved it. Um, have have read it cover to cover twice, and just think it's a it's it's on point definitely. Um, I can see where we're in that wiggle in that room of controversy with the the whole positive thinking thing, but uh, I I definitely agree with a lot of the things you have said, especially the part where. Um, I agree with everything you said, but especially the part where you said, where you said, if something's, if all that positive stuff isn't working for you, try my way. I, I love that. You know, try, try it, you know, try me last <laughs> or whatever it is and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and it'll work. So I, I think that's pretty powerful right there because you're not saying, you know, above, above everything, it's me, it's me, it's me. You're like, you know, go ahead and try something else. And if it works for you, great, but if it doesn't come see me and um, that's a, I think to me that's a really um, a, a sign of great confidence that it does actually really, really work because I know so many people are just searching for that thing that will help them change their life. And um, I love the combination of, of action. And it, I, it makes me cringe when I think about not doing or doing what I don't want to do. The list is <laughs> <laughs> just sitting here going, Oh man. So that's what I got to do. Huh? Ah. If we look at, if like, um, if I look at the athletes, you know, that I've interviewed, uh, professional athletes oh. or, or, or musicians or, you know, like they all have the same story. They're, you know, the reason they became great was because they got up at 4.30 in the morning and went to the gym when they didn't want to. Or, you know, they stayed until four in the morning, you know, rehearsing with the group. Or, you know, it's like this this isn't something that only happens to these high-level people, but there's no reason that you, Elizabeth, and Noah, and I, and all the listeners, there isn't a reason why we can't live our life at a higher level. There's there's nothing genetic that's holding us back, and you know, for the most part. And and hey, guys, let me let me do this too. Something just came into my brain. If 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 there, if there are listeners who are tuned in right now, if if they are serious about changing their life, and I only want people who are serious, and and you'll know who you are, you, because if you've listened to this interview, you know where we're coming from. If you want, because we have the time now. If you want to email us through the website, my team will set up a 20-minute complimentary conversation that I'll have with as many people as they want to do it in order to help them get to that next level. Wonderful. And so just, yeah, just go to the website, talkdavid.com, and where it says contact us, send a, uh, us an email just saying, you know, I want to take David up on his 20-minute complimentary session. And then they'll get back to them. 
and they'll set it up, and we can probably do it the next couple of weeks. We take pretty much we, we're pretty down, and so we have the time to do it. But if you're serious and you want to figure out, like, what are my blocks and what's holding me back and what's the next step, take advantage of that, and we'll chat for 20 minutes and get you on your way. Yeah, I was as you were talking too. I was thinking about my. I have a one of the four boys. Um, his name's Cam. He uh, just signed with New Haven to go play college baseball. And as you were talking about athletes and things like that and all they go through, I can tell you firsthand what he's been through and how he does yeah. a lot of what he he pushes himself and doesn't want to you know get up at that hour or do that or whatever. And um, it, that that dedication and focus and consistency and doing what you don't want to do and, and all that stuff, boy, that, that is so true. I just, it, that's what popped into my mind when you were talking about that. Um, incredible to go from yeah. um, age 13 and a, you know, or, you know, he's been playing baseball since he was itty bitty and he said, I'm going to play baseball when I grow up. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, that kind of thing. And, and boy, to see it in motion is a, is a wild thing. It's pretty powerful. Um, the drive and dedication needed to succeed at that level, even just at a you know a college level, it's crazy. So it's pretty cool. But oh, all right, yeah, that is so, great. Yeah, it's been really fun. Um, Noah, thank you so much for being with us. I I love your book Affirmations, and um, I'll send people to your website and all that. It's really cool for you to just respond to a blurb in uh, the group there. Noah, do you want to co-host? Yeah, sure. I'm in. That's pretty cool. Thank you for doing that and clearing your schedule index to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. By the way, um, just so you know, you were breaking up before earlier when you were saying my website. So I do want to let folks know that they can get a copy of my new book, Get Rid of Your Head Trash for free at NoahStJohn.com. So it's N-O-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N.com. And um, just so folks can uh, take advantage of that. And I, and I really definitely encourage them to also take advantage of David's offer that he just mentioned because that's a very generous offer as well. Yeah, isn't Thanks, that awesome? So, yeah, I, I love that. I'm so happy. I'm going to promote that. And, and um, I hope everybody listens to the show. It's been a wonderful show. So, David, thank you so much for giving us an hour and a half of your time for our listeners. Um, I can't thank you enough. It's been really great and a great learning experience. I think we're all lifelong learners and you taught us a lot. So thank you so much. You guys are welcome. It was beautiful. We'll do it again. And, and I hope everyone has a really wonderful holiday season. It's right upon us, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Everybody's coming back from college in my world. So, all right, everybody, thank you so much for listening tonight. Um, That was David Essel and also Noah St. John with us. Um, David's new book is Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will, The Myth of Positive Thinking, The Reality of Success. You can go to talkdavid.com or davidessel.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-E-S-S-E-L.com. Um, and also noahstjohn.com. He's got a free book as well. And then my book is called Percolate, Let Your Best Self Filter Through. And uh, that's available on Amazon. And my website is besteveryou.com. So thank you all so much for listening and being with us tonight. We thank you very much and have a great night. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.